Hey, would you uh, stand with me? We are going to consider, um, as you know, as we've been going through a chapter a week, and so uh, we're not going to go through 56 verses today, don't worry. Um, We're going to consider verses 40 through 56. So here is the word of God. Uh, Read along with me, or you can read up, up on the board. But Luke, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is God's word. Father, we love you. We ask that this morning you give us ears to hear and a heart to embrace your truth so that we are transformed to look more and more like Jesus in life, words, and deeds. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, God, would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my Redeemer, in Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So do you have a a motto for your life? Anybody have a motto that you kind of live by? Now, I'm not talking about like, he who dies with the most toys wins, uh, or the he who dies with the most toys still dies, right? Or the God is my co-pilot, all these things. I don't know, maybe that is. If it is, we need to talk afterwards. Um, anybody have a motto, something you live by, any phrase or saying? 
Some of you may be like, yes, I'm afraid to share that, though. Um, okay, so I don't really have a model, but let me tell you something, a phrase that has been super uh, important in, in my life, and I, I would probably say the same in, in Tanya's as well, but specifically in mine over the last year, is that I've been saying, I want to live my life in faith, not in fear. I want to live my life in faith, not in fear. Well, what, what I mean by that, the idea is I want to live my life trusting God and not letting what I think is right control me. And as I've mentioned before, and you guys know me, that uh, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a control freak sometimes. Um, I really want to know what my future and my plans are going to look like. So I, I make every effort to ensure that I have control of that. I've lined up my ducks in a row, so to speak, and I notice that when I try to do that, God tries to wrestle that out of my hand. And so as we've kind of just seen our life unfold this last year, as you guys know, and me stepping out of full-time pastoral ministry here with Missio and into a school district again, something I didn't want to do, but something we knew God was calling us to do for this season. It was this, I need to trust God and I want to trust him even in these circumstances that make no sense to me. I want to live in faith, not in fear. And as I work that out in my own life and experience, I see that often to live that way means that we're living that way in and through suffering or in and through problems and struggles in our life. And I'm finding in my own life, and we're finding as we see deeply in Scripture, as we look today, is that we find God's favor as we live in faith, not in fear. That we find God's favor as we live in faith, not in fear. And so very often that comes through trials it comes through suffering, problems of our lives. And we encounter in our story today two people who are asked to either live in faith or react and respond in fear. And we see that when we act in faith, we find God's favor on our lives. So uh, as we come and approach Luke 8 this morning, uh, just to kind of catch you up to speed, um, we are seeing that Jesus is on the move again. And everywhere he's going, he's proclaiming, he's telling the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, and up to this point, uh, we get to verse 40. Prior to this, if you read ahead and you read the entire chapter, Jesus had just returned from uh, the eastern side of the Lake of Gal Galilee, which was a, a Gentile area, and he had just healed a demon-possessed man had cast the demons out, and he charges this man to now take up his missionary task to go into the city where he lives and to tell everybody what God had done for him. And now as we come to verse 40, Jesus is now back on the western side of the lake, the Jewish area, and crowds are waiting for him. And we've kind of seen this as Luke has gone on, right, that everywhere Jesus goes, the crowds begin to grow. He's like, like they're just, they could not wait because they want to see the miracle worker do his miracles. 
And in the midst of this huge crowd, all of a sudden, this ruler of the Jewish synagogue, which we know is the, the temple, the worship for the Jewish people, the ruler, his name is Jairus, comes to Jesus and he falls down at Jesus' feet. And he implores him, he begs Jesus to come and to heal his daughter who's dying. And Jesus goes, and the crowds are pressing in on him. And, and the, the word that the ESV uses isn't as uh, forceful as maybe the NIV says, that the crowds are literally crushing Jesus. He's so popular, you can imagine, right? You've been in a mosh pit maybe? No one, that's just me? Okay, you've been there before. It's these crowds are pressing in and he can barely move. And he's trying to get through and he's going to Jairus' house. And in the middle of this mob, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years just comes in, in the midst of this crowd. And she's thinking, if I can just touch Jesus, if I just touch him, I could be made well. And see, there's something going on with this woman, and as we know a little bit about Jewish culture, that for a woman to be bleeding would have made her unclean, would have made her a social outcast. Therefore, she would not be able to come to that synagogue and worship. Basically, in other words, if we were living within that time, she would not be able to come here to Southwest Indian Ministries and gather with us because she would just be considered unclean because of her bleeding. And she spent all of her money on physicians and no one can heal her. And I have to imagine, just as an aside, that Luke, who's writing this as a doctor, had to be kind of grinning a little bit. No one could heal her. And so what does she do? She, she in the middle of this, this crowd and she comes up and she touches the fringe of Jesus' robe. Probably was a prayer shawl that Jesus would have worn, that a, a, an observant Jew would have worn and maybe touched the tassel, the fringe of that shawl. And immediately she's healed. And she's like, I'm going to sneak back into this crowd. No one's going to see. I get my healing. She's immediately healed. And the idea is like, not only would I be physically healed, but socially I could be back into the family of God. And at that moment, Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? And it's interesting that it says that everyone denied it. Everyone denied it. I mean, he's, he's literally being crushed, right? And, you, and, and imagine if there's this crowd. I don't think Jesus, the text doesn't tell us. I don't think Jesus said, well, who touched me? I think he screamed it out, who touched me? And everybody's like, no, no, not me, not me, as they're elbowing Jesus and they're sitting right there, right? And you know, what's Peter's response? Really, Jesus, seriously, right? Everybody's pressing in on you. How can you ask who touched you? And Jesus is insistent. He said, no, somebody touched me because I perceive that power has gone out from me. The Spirit's power has gone out from me. And in that moment, Jesus is not just concerned with the girl's physical healing. He wants to give her all of him. Now, the text doesn't say, so I don't want to infer too much, 
But I can imagine after he screams that, everybody denies it, the crowd gets quiet. Can you imagine that? Who touched me? Power has gone out from me. And now what does the text say? That the woman, she knows she can no longer be hidden. She comes up. What does the text say? She came up. And when she saw that she was not hidden, verse 47, she came trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people while she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Just envision this for a second. This woman, unclean in the eyes of these people, now put on display in front of them all. You're in that crowd. Jesus stops. He's on the way to heal a dying girl. And he said, who touched me? He looks at an unclean woman. And now she's before everybody. She's like, it's me. It's me. And I'm healed. I'm immediately, I'm healed. It's amazing in my mind that Jesus on the way to the ruler's house, the one who would have had the most importance in the society here of Jews, takes time and stops and looks at the one that's the least insignificant. On this mission, he stops, he says, someone touched me. And she proclaims in front of the entire crowd, look what has happened to me. Look what's happened to me. I'm insignificant. He's healed me. And when we live in faith, not fear, we recognize that the Son of God, Jesus himself, in his family, there's no insignificant people. That he takes time for us who are in faith, strive to live for him. And we find God's favor upon us. That he cares for the socially outcast. He cares for those who are broken spiritually as well as physically. Jesus cares about the whole person here. So much so that he stops to address her. And what does Jesus say to her? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus mentions that term of endearment, daughter. Don't miss this. Because he's reminding her of her true identity. That she is a daughter within the family of God. And not only that, by her healing and he, Jesus, proclaiming in front of the crowd that she is now made well, now is brought back into the family of Israel. No longer unclean. She's restored into that community. But the word that Jesus uses here, that you are made well, sozo, it means more than just a physical healing. It means to be saved, to be delivered. It's bigger and better than physical healing. It's soul wholeness. 
And Jesus is declaring, she's not unclean. She's my daughter. She's the daughter of God. Welcome her back in. I think another thing too that I see is that even in our lives, when we fear, whatever circumstance seems totally out of our control, whatever relationship seems broken, whatever it is that we fear, that we still could come to Jesus in faith, even in that fear. She comes trembling. She's called out. What is he going to do? I know I'm healed, but what is he going to do? And what hope for us that as we wrestle with doubt and fear in our lives, we still come to Jesus in faith and say, I trust you even in the fear. That's really helpful for me. Because I fear a lot, and I worry a lot, and I want to control a lot, but I know, Jesus, you got it. And I can move in faith, even in the fear. And we find God's favor when we live that way. As did the woman. Daughter, your faith has made you well. I love how he says, now go in fear. Does he say that? Go in peace. Now, if you're Jairus, you a little frustrated right now? I mean, Jesus, we're on the way to my house. My daughter's dying. You're going to stop and take time for this unclean woman? You can just imagine what he's thinking. Time's precious, Jesus. We got to move. We got to move. You're stopping now. Everybody's touching you. You're healing her. What? Faith trusts in God's timing. Fear dictates to God how it should look. Anybody ever try to dictate to God your own timetable? Like, God, if it's really going to work, it has to happen now. It has to happen this way. You can't do that, God. That's not right. It's your, you, what are you thinking? I can imagine maybe Jairus is kind of thinking a little bit like that. But we find God's favor when we live in faith, not in fear. When we live in trusting God's timing in all things. And to probably make matters worse for Jairus, as soon as Jesus, as as he's still speaking to the woman, what does the text say? While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, this is someone from Jairus' house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble with the teacher anymore. Maybe Jesus, if you hadn't stopped Maybe if you hadn't stopped to talk to that bleeding woman, maybe my daughter wouldn't be dead. You could have healed her. I'm going to blame you, God. Perhaps. Perhaps. Yet Jesus looks 
at Jairus. And I don't know if he said it in front of the crowd. I almost wonder if he took Jairus by the robe and he looks at him and he goes and whispers, do not fear, only believe and she will be well, sozo. She will be delivered. And in that moment, Jairus could have stopped in fear and not trusted Jesus. And yet he goes. And Jesus comes to the house and he takes John and James and Jairus and his wife. They're the only ones that they will he allow into the house and there's mourners outside of the house. Now, in that time, people would actually hire people to mourn for the dead. It's possible that that's what was happening here. It could have been dear friends of Jairus and his wife or our family. And and the text doesn't say, but I would love to have known the tone of Jesus as they go into the house and all these people are weeping. It's almost like I imagine Jesus as they come to the house, they open the door and she's like, no, no, you guys go in. You go in. And he lets Jairus and his wife and John and James go in and he looks at the crowd and he goes, stop crying. She's not dead, she's asleep. And walks in. And the crowd's response is what? Laughter. Are you kidding? Maybe it's the absurdity of Jesus' words. I mean, they know what death is. We know she's dead. They laugh at Christ. And I just wonder... How often do we laugh at the words of God for us? It's like, are you kidding? Is your word true? Is, Is it really true that I can find peace and joy, Lord, in you, that you have it all? One of the very first verses that we taught our kids when they were young was Psalm 56, 3 and 4 that says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. Yet I know that when I live in fear and not in faith, there's times I doubt what God says to me is true. That the psalmist says that God is our very present help in times of trouble. He's our refuge and our strength. And sometimes I go, God, I don't know that I believe that. Because my situation right now seems really, really bad. I've been praying for this for so long, God, and I haven't seen it. Is that really true? Are you really my present help? But faith trusts in God's word. Faith believes that even if I can't see it, even if I don't feel it, that God is who he says he is and his word is truth. You know, it's the response of the ruler, uh, Jairus' person from the house who came, just don't trouble Jesus anymore, She's, she's dead. And it's this thought that 
And probably these mourners is like, well, maybe if Jesus had been here, he could have healed her because she was sick. But now that she's dead, he can't do that work. Is there anything in your life that you're saying, you know what, Jesus, you just can't, you can't really touch that. This circumstance, you can't change. You can do this, but that circumstance, God, no way. That relationship, you can't reconcile that. That attitude, you can't alter it. I believe this, but God, this is way too hard. This is, I've been praying for this for years, and I haven't seen change. I just don't think you can do it. That's fear, not faith. And when we trust in faith, we find God's favor. We find God's favor. Don't be afraid. Believe. And he goes into the house and just as calmly as we would be as parents waking up our own kids, Jesus touches a dead girl. By the way, it would have been unclean. Defiling himself, polluting himself. He's been touched by an unclean woman. Now he's touching a dead person. The Jews would have heard this story and they go, Jesus has incurred double pollution upon himself. What kind of prophet does that? And he grabs the girl's hand and he says, child, arise. Child, get up. And her spirit returns and she gets up immediately. And Jesus commands her parents to give her something to eat. Probably she was hungry. I don't know, I've never been dead. But it could have been proof to her parents that she's really truly alive. It's not a spirit here. This isn't an apparition or a ghost. She is alive. Not only that, but eating would have brought her back into the fellowship of the family of Israel. So that everyone else who would have seen that she was dead was made alive and belonged. That's why Jesus came. To bring back into the family those who were outside of the family because of sin and rebellion and death. And her parents are amazed. And Jesus says, and charges them not to tell anybody what had happened. Well, that's odd. Because just moments later in chapter 8, he had told the demon-possessed man to go into the whole city and tell the entire city what he had just done. And now he's telling Jairus and his wife, don't don't tell anybody. Seriously, do not tell anybody. What is Jesus doing with that? The idea, as we see through Luke, and we'll see it again, is that so many of these people, the Jews specifically, were not looking at the miracle worker, but at the miracle and he did not, Jesus did not want the people to be so focused on the healing. He wants them to be focused on the healer. 
And when we live in fear, not in faith, when we live on fear, so often we just care about the outcome. What Jesus is going to do, not on Jesus himself. And so when we find God's favor, we find Jesus, his very presence with us. Because I know some of you family, and you know my story, I know your stories. There are times you pray and you're thinking, God, I'm praying for this healing. You haven't brought it. God, I'm praying for this relationship to be reconciled and restored. You haven't done it. God, I'm praying, praying for my attitude and, or the attitude of this person to be altered and it hasn't happened yet. God, you are not faithful. You can't do this. I'm just going to leave you alone. Leave the teacher alone. That's fear, not faith. When we find God's favor, it may be healing. It might be that our circumstances are changed. It might be that the attitudes are altered. But it may not. And will we be satisfied that the favor of God is the very presence of Christ with us? By the power of his spirit who indwells all who turn to Jesus in faith. See, the one who came into the world taking on flesh is the one who took the pollution of sickness, of demon possession, guilt and shame, so that we would have the very presence of God dwelling with us now. So that we can live in faith, not in fear, trusting that Jesus alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And I want to implore you, family, I want to exhort you, I want to encourage you that as you live your life, we are living often in fear, not in faith. And Jesus says, I'm present with you. My spirit is in you. Trust in me. Do not be afraid. He cares and we come to him and we say, Jesus, we want to live, touch us, embrace us. And that's the good news, is that the gospel ensures us as we live in God's story, Jesus' presence is with us. And not only can we touch him because of what he's allowed in his life, death, and resurrection, he now touches us. And he embraces us and he says, daughter, Son, do not fear, only believe. I need that every single day, a reminder that Jesus came and he took my pollution of doubt, of fear, of rebellion, and crushed it at the cross. And in his resurrection, I participate with him. So now what he said to the girl is true of us. Child, arise and live 
and the newness of life that I have. Even in your faith and doubt, keep moving. I got you. I've conquered the power of sin and death and Satan. It is no longer your master. I am your master. Arise. And even in your fear, have faith. We find God's favor when we live in faith, not in fear. That's the presence of God with us. That is great news for us, family. Let's pray. God, we need you. Father, we are a people so very weak. We confess it every Sunday that we've rebelled, we've doubted, we haven't lived the way you've called us to. We live in fear, whatever that looks like, rather than the faith. And yet, Jesus, you touch us. And we need your touch even this morning. Restore our faith anew. Strengthen us, God, so that we, falling before your feet like the woman, falling before your feet like Jairus, falling before your feet like the demon-possessed man, we worship you. We adore you, and God, we say, only you could give us life. Help us to live every moment in faith, not in fear, trusting Jesus in your word that you are a very present help in time of trouble. Jesus, we ask, we beg for your grace to keep us going and we know the promise that is true in your word that those who trust in Christ, we will see this completion. You will come again, you will make all things new and we will see you as you are and be made like you in glory. Thank you, God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.